0: Hey, this is Down Ballot Counts producer David Schultz. Just a quick note before we begin the show. We talk a lot this week about the elections happening in Wisconsin, and when we recorded this on Monday morning, they were still going on. But shortly after we recorded, the state's governor, Tony Evers, took emergency action to stop in-person voting due to the coronavirus pandemic. Then, hours later, the Supreme Court overruled Evers and ordered voting to go on, so Wisconsinites have been voting all day today. This is obviously a fast-moving story so check out our website bgov.com for more info and without
1: further delay on with the show welcome to another home-cooked edition of down ballot counts i'm kyle trigstad politics editor at bloomberg government and with me as always is senior reporter greg geroux it's week four of home recording and we're doing this on monday morning Tomorrow, we actually have voters voting, but how many show up is a big question. So we'll discuss that, and then we'll analyze a campaign ad that hit the airwaves last week. Finally, we'll bring on Bloomberg government correspondent Nancy Ognanovich, who's been closely monitoring the most vulnerable senators up for reelection.
0: We were there with 99% of the precincts counted.
2: Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats. Cease audible conversation.
1: From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerome's Gem.
2: Thank you, Kyle. Jerome's Gem, my political number of the week, is 38. That's the number of states that hold elections for the state Supreme Court. Yes, here at Down Ballot Counts, we analyze non presidential elections at all levels, and these include the sometimes overlooked but no less important elections for the state judiciary. Because of the judiciary's role in shaping social and regulatory policies, the political parties and outside interest groups often intervene in judicial elections and sometimes even outspend the candidates. 35 of those 38 states have state Supreme Court general elections this year, most of them in November, coinciding with the presidential election, but a few of them are earlier than that, including tomorrow in Wisconsin. We'll have more about that Wisconsin election coming up, but 38, the number of states that elect Supreme Court justices, that's your Giroux's Gem of the Week.
1: All right. Up next, we're heading to the Midwest. This is Bloomberg Governments. Down ballot counts. Wisconsin is at the center of the campaign world this week, and that may be where it is in November when it's likely to be among a handful of states fought over the most between Trump and presumably Joe Biden. It's also hosting the Democratic National Convention, which we learned last week will be delayed a month. It's, it's going to be in August now. And tomorrow, the state holds federal and state elections. It's the only voting going on for the foreseeable future. And the decision to move ahead with it came after the Republican legislature turned back last-minute efforts by the Democratic governor to delay the vote or go to mail-only ballots. Greg, the back and forth we watched over the last days and weeks on this, it was really head spinning.
2: It really was. This is an election unlike really any I've I've seen. So the election technically for the state Supreme Court is tomorrow as we speak here on Monday. The election is tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, uh, the 7th. But um, the twist is that the in-person voting is going to be very limited and that um, most of these ballots, I think, cast in this election are going to be done by absentee ballot because that election date was not moved, as you mentioned. And the judge has allowed absentee ballots to be uh, counted until April the 13th, next Monday, and has enjoined or prevented state election officials from releasing any unofficial election returns on Tuesday. So this really, in effect, extends the election date until April the 13th, when... That's the latest ballots can be received and when uh, we'll get the uh, unofficial uh, results of that election. Now, this election is between Daniel Kelly, an incumbent state Supreme Court justice, and Jill Karofsky, a judge in Dane County. uh, That's in Madison. It's nominally a nonpartisan election, but as is the case with many judicial elections in Wisconsin and elsewhere, the political parties and some outside groups have preferred candidates and are either directly funding them or aiding them with outside spending. Kelly is the preferred candidate of conservatives and Republicans, including President Donald Trump, who endorsed and promoted Kelly at a political rally in Wisconsin back in January, while the Democratic Party of Wisconsin has been funding Karofsky, who has the endorsements of Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders running in the higher profile Democratic presidential primary on Tuesday. It will be closely watched uh, in part for the partisan direction of the state Supreme Court and also underscores just how much Wisconsin is a is a swing state. These the state Supreme Court elections in Wisconsin have been very closely divided. And Wisconsin, as we know, is probably going to be very closely contested in November in the presidential election as well.
1: Yeah, and I think the liberal won the, uh, the closely watched 2018 state Supreme Court election, Um, And last I checked, conservatives have an edge on the state Supreme Court there. Uh, But part of the issue here, I think, for Republicans was concern that the Democratic primary, um, of course, we know it's not quite as competitive as as we thought it might be by April 7th. But part of the concern was that this would get a lot of Democrats out to the polls or voting by mail, um, whereas Republican enthusiasm might not be as high. And that would hurt them in the state Supreme Court race, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and there was a primary for the state Supreme Court seat in February. About 705,000 Wisconsinites voted in that election. Daniel Kelly received exactly 50% of the vote. Jill Karofsky received 37%. Now, turnout's going to be higher because of the, in part because of the presidential primary between Biden and Sanders. How much higher that will be is hard to say. We've had about, um, I think, 1.3 million requests for absentee ballots as of this morning, according to the Wisconsin Elections Board, but uh, maybe 725, 730,000 had actually been returned, so we still have a lot of absentee ballots that were requested that haven't yet been returned, but yes, you're right. I think one concern among the Republicans was that there is no competitive Republican primary for Donald Trump, but there is on the Democratic side, and I think there's the concern that you know, the more Democrats who turn out for the Democratic presidential primary will in turn cast down ballot votes for uh, Jill Karofsky, the Democratic Party's preferred candidate in that state Supreme Court race.
1: All right. Joe Biden had a 62% to 34% lead in the Marquette Law School poll released last week uh, over Bernie Sanders. Um, I'm guessing there could be some even more pressure on Bernie to drop out uh, if he suffers a loss that bad. So that's something to watch uh, coming out of this on the other end. Uh, up next, we have a re-election ad from one of the most powerful politicians in America.
2: America is in crisis like never before. And in times of crisis, we look to leaders. Mitch McConnell led the passage of the biggest economic rescue package in history. Urgent help for people who need it most. American families, small business jobs, extended unemployment benefits, and most of all, hospitals and our healthcare heroes. One leader brought our divided country together in a unanimous bipartisan vote mitch mcconnell i'm mitch mcconnell and i approve this message
1: last week we featured an ad from kentucky democrat amy mcgrath whose kids ran around the living room in the background as she talked direct to camera about helping her community during the pandemic this ad from the incumbent she's challenging senate majority leader mitch mcconnell is quite a bit different And along with the stock photos of everyday Americans that you see in the ad, the visuals are of him in the Capitol uh, and standing next to Trump, who's handing him a pen in the Oval Office during a signing ceremony. Greg, what did you see?
2: Yeah, so unlike that ad from Amy McGrath we talked about last week, which shows her inside her house with her young kids, that's not an ad that McConnell can replicate because his children are adults. and you know, his he's the Senate majority leader, and so he's going to be focusing more on his position and how he's trying to parlay that to Kentucky's benefit. And so this ad does seek to hammer home the message to Kentucky voters that, you know, he's our senator in Washington getting stuff done for Kentucky. It mentions the unanimous vote in the Senate for the coronavirus relief package. Um, I don't think McConnell really needed to twist any arms to get that vote, and it's interesting that you know, uh, it had Rand Paul been there to vote on it instead of being self-quarantined, that might have made the vote 96 to 1 instead of 96 to 0. Still would have passed overwhelmingly, but just kind of an interesting point. Um, so it just kind of really focuses on McConnell's uh, position, his seniority, and how he's trying to uh, leverage that uh, position of seniority to help uh, Kentuckians. Uh, McGrath has already hit back in an ad that accuses McConnell of, quote, taking a victory lap against the coronavirus and TV ads, unquote. Other senators for running for reelection, election Kyle, have run ads like McConnell that highlight their legislative work, including Steve Daines in Montana and uh, Susan Collins in Maine. Expect more coronavirus ads to come down the pike in the weeks and months ahead, Kyle.
1: All right, Kentucky, an air war to watch there. All right, after the break, we'll talk about how some of the other Senate Republicans are juggling their re-elections with this unprecedented moment. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Governments Down Ballot Counts. Joining us now is Nancy Agnanovich, a Bloomberg government reporter who's previously covered the White House and until the past few weeks would normally be chasing down senators in Capitol hallways. Nancy, thanks for coming on the pod.
3: Good to be here.
1: So senators up for reelection have a balancing act here. They want to help their communities however they can, including supporting this bipartisan legislation for economic relief, but they also need to contrast themselves with their challengers. So how have some of them handled that?
3: Well, it's really tricky for the senators who are in swing states, especially because they don't want to alienate anybody. And a lot of them have been really talking to their constituents about resources and trying to help them know what's out there and where the help is. And they're trying to strike a real bipartisan tone. But going forward, um, there's a likelihood that this is going to get more, more partisan as the uh, senators who are running for re-election have to differentiate themselves. And the party, uh, the Republican Party, wants to show that they're the party with the answers for fixing the economy, and Democrats do too. And so I think it's going to get more t- contentious going forward.
2: I mean, do senators, uh, Nancy, up for re-election expect this to be the number one campaign issue all the way through November, the the pandemic and the government's response to it?
3: Well, for Senator McConnell, it was always probably going to be about the economy. And that's how the White House was looking at it, too. Uh, for them, they thought they had the ace in the whole economy and everything was going to be good for them going into the next few months. All of a sudden, the economy has has been almost destroyed. And so now they have to pivot. And what they're trying to do is show that they will be the party that has the answers for fixing the economy. And Democrats are going to try to do the same thing.
1: You mentioned uh, Mitch McConnell. Um, he, he had our ad of the week here on Down Ballot Counts. Um, he touts himself as helping shepherd a uh, unanimous relief Bill, despite uh, the polarized political environment we're in, Um, the the negotiations really did seem to be just at the very top ranks of congressional leadership. Is that how it's gone so far, and is that what we're expecting to see uh, with these upcoming relief bills, whatever's coming next?
3: Absolutely, and I was just talking to experts about this, about how power has been consolidated in the leadership now for quite a long time, beginning, I'd say, in the 1990s with Newt Gingrich and his predecessor, Jim Wright. But it's all only intensified with all of the big budget deals, and it's come to the point that only the leadership can really put these things together and put them together really quickly in a crisis situation especially. And the rank and file look to the leadership to put it together. But for the downside for them is that they often feel they've been cut out of the deal. And I've been told there's a banquet in the leadership office and there's bag lunches for the rank and file. And so sometimes there's a resentment. But There's no other way that they can do it fast, bring it together quickly, like in times like this.
2: And Nancy, how do we expect um, or how do you expect uh, vulnerable Republican senators to respond if Trump's approval rating on handling the crisis worsens or or or, and if we have a prolonged economic slump leading into the summer and the fall?
3: It really depends on where they are. Right. And how close their races are Uh, for somebody like Cory Gardner in Colorado swing state. He's trying very hard right now to uh, appeal to both sides. That includes suburban women. If the economy continues to deteriorate um, and is in really bad shape in the fall going into that, it could get a lot more contentious for a lot of them as they try to differentiate themselves and say that they're the ones who have the answers and Democrats are Are can't be trusted with the economy. And one example of something that we saw last week was when Senator John Kennedy, who isn't running for reelection, but is in a hotspot state, Louisiana, accused Democrats of putting enormous amounts of spending porn into the final stimulus bill. Pork doesn't cut it anymore. Now it's spending porn. (laughs)
1: Now, what about Susan Collins? I don't know if you've uh, seen her ads. I think she had another one out just this morning. Um, It seems she's really taken a a hard left turn from campaigning.
3: Susan Collins right away was very involved in the stimulus and trying to help save small businesses in Maine and working in what was really a bipartisan um, way to try to get small business loan programs set up through the SBA. and um, But she has a very, very tight race, and it's going to be difficult for her. And she said that many, many businesses in Maine immediately were hit by cancellations in people's vacation plans and so on. And so she's She's in a very difficult spot and and running scared, probably.
1: All right. We'll have to leave it there. That was Nancy Ognanovich, Bloomberg government reporter. This is Down Ballot Counts. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you.
2: That's right. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question. So last week, we discussed the decennial census and its implications later this year for the reapportionment of House seats, which has been fixed by law at 435 for more than a century, but not for all of our history. And my question was, how many members of the House were there in the very first Congress?
1: I have no idea, but I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, 125.
2: Okay, that's um, shooting it a little bit high there. The answer is actually 65. Um, which is actually lower than I think I would have expected had I not seen this before. You had just 13 states back then. Virginia, then the most populous state, had the most House seats at 10, followed by Pennsylvania and Massachusetts at 8 apiece, and Maryland and New York at 6 apiece. Uh, now, for this week's question, earlier in the program, our "Out of the Week segment highlighted an ad from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is up for re-election in November and who has had a long run as the Senate Republican leader, as either minority leader or majority leader. Question, who was Mitch McConnell's immediate predecessor as Senate Republican leader? Again, that question asked a slightly different way. Who did Mitch McConnell succeed as leader of Republicans in the Senate? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle, at bgov and use the hashtag down ballot pod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's program.
1: All right, I better get that right. That's it for us today. But before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week?
2: Well Kyle, I'll be watching some more states just to see if they're going to postpone their primaries or at least adapt some of their voting procedures you know, more absentee balloting, more mail voting. And we're coming up on April the 15th, Kyle. And as uh, both of us know well, uh, that's when we'll have the first quarter Federal Election Commission campaign finance reports due. And some campaigns like to leak or reveal their top line numbers before that deadline.
1: I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week.
0: When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts.
1: Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, superfund, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater.
0: That's where parts per billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.